Once a year, we have a what we call our annual meeting, and um, we stop calling it a business meeting because it's more of a vision casting meeting, but we also uh, have to review business, and um, there are the corporate aspects of uh, church life as well. We are an incorporation in Ohio. People always ask, are you a 501c3? Uh, yes, but we don't have a letter of determination, meaning that as a church, we uh, did not go for that, but we are incorporated, so we have to follow those laws. But I feel like today is more about hearing what the Lord is saying to our hearts and rejoicing as a family for the things that God has done uh, in the last year. I have to tell you, in the last year, I feel like this church has done some pretty amazing things. The D4 conference that we had in the summer uh, was a full team effort. Everybody was involved. And uh, that has put things in motion uh, all over the region, and it's become a template nationally. Um, I don't know if you realize how many times we have done things first and uh, other people have taken it. Now the church in Pittsburgh is going to do it. We did last summer. They're hosting that conference this year. But the waves of influence and blessing from this church because of your obedience have been amazing. The Night to Honor Israel, which was a first for us, I think was one of the most amazing things that we did. Again, uh, it has uh, ongoing reverberations. I mean, every week I'm hearing something that was put into motion uh, from that uh, particular night that we uh, put together. And uh, I'm proud of this church. I, I'm proud of our leadership team. That's the only good time to have pride, by the way, and things of the Lord. But I am uh, so blessed. I don't think we've ever, we've always had good leaders. We've had, you know, numbers of good leaders, but now we have a leadership team like we've never had before. And that's a testimony to those that have continued to make disciple makers and trained up younger leaders. And uh, that's a real blessing. I just want to share something from the Word before we talk about some of the vision things. Often I'll do a prophetic message. I'll tell you that today I feel like this message I'm going to share with you is a critical component of where we're going as a church. And I don't think it's just our church. I think it's for what God is saying to the church, all Christians right now. So Father, open our hearts. Give us wisdom to hear. Give us a heart to receive. Give us the courage and faith to obey and step into everything that you have for us. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, and I pray that this word that was penned by godly men would just come alive as your spirit uh, just makes it, unfolds it in our hearts, God. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, says, In the third year of the reign Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were trained. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, 
Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And I'll never forget the story of the little guy in Sunday school that thought it was I shake, you shake, and under the bed we go. Probably the same guy that wondered who Round John, Round John Virgin was in that Christmas carol. <laughs> when you hear things as a kid, you don't always get it right. That's okay. 605 B.C. It was the year that Jerusalem first fell to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. If you know history, there were three waves of invasion. Babylon invading Israel. 605, when Daniel and uh, Shadrach, uh, Meshach, and Abednego were also taken. 597 B.C., and that's when the prophet Ezekiel and a large number of captives are taken. And then 586 B.C., that's when the entire city of Jerusalem is sacked. The temple is robbed of all its treasure. All the walls come down, and barely one stone is left on top of another. This is when King Zedekiah uh, sees his sons uh, killed by the enemy and is blinded and then taken uh, to Babylon. Just a brutal uh, time in Israel's history. But the first invasion, 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar comes to Israel and takes some of the finest leaders. These are people from the royal family. These are uh, people of the royal line, and I'll tell you more about that in a moment. But these were young men who were going to be drafted into the service of Nebuchadnezzar. They were being moved from one country to another. And Nebuchadnezzar's strategy was to take the finest from all the nations and put together a brain trust of leaders that would serve him. And then he moved people groups around. He actually moved this group of people over to the here and this group of people here. And that was how he kept everybody off balance and uh, kept a, a unity in his uh, empire. We're not sure how many nobles were taken captive. We know these four that are talked about in Daniel. Um, we don't know how many succumbed to despair or defeat. We don't even know how many made the journey. Uh, Barnes' commentary says the distance between Babylon and Jerusalem is 520 miles, but that's how the crow flies. If you walk it, it's about the distance from Cleveland to Daytona, Florida. That's a long walk. Or Oklahoma City would be another example. Uh, over 900 miles to walk, and it was in a very arid and desert place that uh, they had to walk through. So ask the question, what was Daniel's experience? What, what did these four men experience? Daniel was grieving the loss of his freedom. He was grieving the loss of everything familiar to him, connections to family, all of his friendships. He just had to up and walk away. He was a prisoner of war. His dreams for his life were coming to an abrupt end. He was separated from his God in the worship of the temple. And for a Jew, that was a very crucial thing, that you couldn't go to worship at the temple. That was a disaster. His name that was given to him in Hebrew, Daniel, the last part L meaning God, uh, literally means God's, uh, God is my judge. Very interesting that his name is that, because Daniel was born during a time of judgment, and his life marks the season of 70 years of judgment against Israel. It's very interesting that the Chaldeans, the uh, leaders that Nebuchadnezzar had, gave Daniel a new name. Belteshazzar is a Hebrewized form of Belteshu Azur, meaning his life protect. Kind of different than uh, God is my judge, his life protect. 
Isaiah says something about Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over 150 years before this event happens. And I don't know if you ever caught this in Scripture. But in Isaiah 39, verse 1, it says, At that time, Merodic Baladan. Don't you love these Babylonian names? I mean, this is great. Makes a good password for your computer. Remember that. At that time, by the way, I'm not using this one, so go ahead and take it. <laughs> At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters. This is 150 years before Daniel's even born. And he sends a gift because he heard of the illness and recovery of Hezekiah. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, his silver, his gold, his spices, his fine oil, his entire armory, and everything among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? Oh, from a distant land, Hezekiah replied. They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away, and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Something else that we find out about Daniel is that he was made a eunuch. We don't understand how here's a guy who is never going to marry. He's never going to carry on a family line. This was a, a critical thing in uh, Jewish culture, to not have a son to take on your name, never to care for a family. And yet, we see in Scripture that God knew that Daniel was going to be born. God knew the state that Daniel was going to be in. God knew the times in which Daniel would live because God has a plan. And even though Daniel went through a lot of suffering, Daniel was in God's heart long before he was born. And if you're not picking up in this church by now this whole sense of destiny and identity, and that is that we were in the heart of God before we were born. God has a destiny for us. He has a plan for us. To be a person of destiny doesn't mean your life will go easy. I love the words. I, I know I quote this many times, but I love the words of Tevia in uh, Fiddler on the Roof, if you've ever seen that musical. God, I know we're the chosen people, but you have to choose us all the time. <laughs> Sometimes we'd rather not be on the radar. We'd rather say, God, why choose me? It would be a lot easier just to go with the flow and to hide out and not be on your radar. But to be a person of destiny means that God has a plan for us. He has things that he wants to do. God knew in his eternal wisdom what would happen. These four had to work it out in real time and space, but God knew from the beginning that they would face these hardships. It seemed to Daniel... And I'm sure these other three young men and the ones who had been taken captive, their whole world was being turned upside down and that everything was out of control. Can I tell you, in fact, God was getting ready to use these four men to turn the world right side up. Daniel must have had 50 reasons to be bitter. I had an experience last Sunday morning before the uh, service. I was in prayer 
And I felt like the Lord took me back to 605 BC. And I could feel what Daniel was feeling. And I could identify, and I just, I just wept. I mean, I, just, I felt like God was breaking me, and there was just weeping going on. The Lord said, do you realize what this man went through? Do you understand the pain that he was experiencing at this time? Because most people don't, don't see that. Daniel's always been my favorite Old Testament book, ever since I came to Christ. But even though Daniel had 50 reasons to be bitter, he didn't. I wonder, did he think of Joseph from Genesis 1,200 years earlier, who was taken away in injustice, framed, sold as a slave? I'm sure he had that experience and uh, was thinking of that. How did God work in his heart to keep him from becoming bitter? We don't know how it happened, but we do know that Daniel did not become bitter. He chose to honor God, and God honored him in an amazing way. I just want to share briefly this morning four key principles that we see in Daniel's life that I believe are principles we need to understand for the season in which we're living. And the first is Daniel knew who he was. His identity was fixed in Yahweh, in his God. By the way, the name of God given to us most often in Scripture that God gives to Moses, Yahweh, it literally means, it's a, it's a derivation of the form to be. It means I will be who I will be. Anybody here say that? There's only one that can say that, I will be who I will be. We can say, I am because he is, right? But we are dependent on God. Our identity ultimately has to come from him. There were a lot of people that sought to define Daniel's life. Notice they gave him a new name. Daniel never com compromised. He made it clear he would willingly lay down his life before he compromised what he believed in. He never stopped being a Jew, but more importantly, Daniel discovered something that we need to discover, that he was part of an eternal kingdom that was bigger than his own ethnic identity, than his own address wherever he was, that he was on God's radar because God was doing something bigger than the entire land of Israel. Think about this. He was part of something bigger. The Jews themselves had forgotten this. God told the Jews that he would bless them to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. God said in Abraham, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. Israel had forgotten that. Can I tell you that God accomplished through these four men in just a period of 30 years more than God was able to accomplish in Israel 490 years preceding this time? The witness that went to the nation because of the obedience of these guys is amazing. God entrusted Daniel with a comprehensive view of the future through visions. Daniel began to understand that he had a place in eternity, and that's where part of our identity needs to be. We need to understand and look at things through an eternal lens. That's God's perspective that we see through his eyes. The second thing I want us to see is Daniel learned to see the world, his life and circumstances through God's eyes. And I'm sure this didn't happen all at once. But as Daniel and his three friends sought God through the crisis they experienced, they began to see things through God's perspective. God continued to allow them to rise above evil. And they saw God's higher purpose in the things that they experienced. But notice, God doesn't make it easy for them, does he? How many times was Daniel under the sentence of death? How many times was he put in a place where there's nothing he could do? God had to come through. And it was God and Daniel. Here I am again, Lord. I need a word. You know, we sometimes go to the Lord and we say, God, we need to hear from you. 
But it's a little bit more intense when you have to get a word between now and tomorrow morning when the king's going to kill you. Or they just threw you in a lion's den. Okay? A little bit different perspective there. So I want you to think about what God accomplished through these men. All the Chaldean, all the Magi, these are the wise men that were part of Babylon and this whole empire that ruled from India all the way over to what would become Rome. All of them saw the power of God. So much so that Daniel was remembered, and I believe that's why the Magi, the three people that come seeking Jesus that we talk about at Christmas, they did that because they had Daniel's writings in their books. He became the chief of the Magi. These guys saw the humility of Daniel as he attributed all power and miracles to God. The Magi way was to have a heart, you know, the the power is resident in me. And Daniel says, there's nothing I can do. He stands before Nebuchadnezzar and says, I can't give you the interpretation, but I know a God who can. And Daniel models something to all the Magi, the dependence that he had on the one true living God, that God's heart was revealed to all these people. Can you imagine in just one amazing stroke? Daniel receives the dream and the interpretation from uh, God for Nebuchadnezzar. There was no false God. There was no spiritual force that could predict the future like the God of Daniel, like Yahweh. All other false prophets and soothsayers were humbled before God. Or what about the time when Nebuchadnezzar sets up a statue on the plain and he's got all of his leaders there from 120 provinces that stretched all the way from India into Western Europe? Every one of the leaders. Can you imagine how many false gods were represented there? At least 120, I'm sure. And in one moment, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is revealed to all of those people, all of those leaders went back to their provinces and told the story. The story about the living, powerful God who had the ability to keep people alive in the midst of a fire was told all over the world. Israel never revealed God like that to the nations. And now the obedience of these four guys, and you say, yeah, but they had a pretty tough time. I'm getting to something here that I want us to hear. Again and again, God takes his children, Esther, Mordecai, Nehemiah, Daniel, in one of the toughest seasons in history and uses them to reveal his power and his amazing anointing to the people around them. Think about that. The third thing that I want us to do, that I want us to understand, Daniel understands God's perspective on evil I believe that Daniel discovered the same thing that Joseph did, that evil has a purpose, and it's not what we think. Genesis 50, 15, you're familiar with the story, many of you, but it says, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. Notice that the lying spirit that operates in this family has not been dealt with. This is a generational stronghold that has not been dealt with. Joseph's life, he dealt with it, but not among his brothers. They said, this is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Pretty creative, huh? Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. I wonder why he wept. 
His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We're your slaves, they said. Now, this is an excellent opportunity if you want to get revenge. Joseph had all the power here. The dream that they mocked him about years ago is coming to pass. They're all kneeling down before him. Verse 19, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. What an amazing perspective. I want you to know something. We live in a very evil world. I'm not going to airbrush things and tell you that things aren't bad. Things are bad. And there's a lot of evil out there. Can I tell you with assurance that no matter what happens, God has a higher plan, and he is going to work for his children the promise that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. There are many Christians right now in the church that are thinking, God, what am I going to do? My whole world is falling apart. And it looks like the world hates Christians. And things don't look good on the geopolitical scene. And radical Islam is killing people all over the world. And there's violence and immorality and all these things. Can I tell you in the midst of all this, that God is doing the greatest work in the church and in the kingdom that he has ever done? What we see is the world being turned upside down is actually God turning the world right side up. I believe that Daniel understood that. He understood the purpose of evil. He stayed sweet. He did not take offense. Can I tell you, I see a lot of angry Christians around. They're angry. They'll say things like, my country's been stolen from me. I don't like what's happening in America, but my country's the kingdom of God. That hasn't been stolen from anybody. And for too many years, I think a lot of Christians have invested so much in this, in this temporal world that we live in here, and they have not had an eternal perspective. Some of us heard when we were kids, well, he's too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. If you're really heavenly-minded, you're going to be more earthly good than anybody else around you because you're going to have God's perspective. We say those things, and they're not in the Bible. I just want you to know that. That's in, that's in the book of uh, whatever it is. Same book that they have, God Helps Them That Helps Themselves, and a bunch of other things like that. Hezekiah. There is no Hezekiah. You think this is bad. Remember when I shared the story about the pastor that preached out of a chapter that didn't exist in the Bible, and he asked how many people read it, and most of his congregation, week after week, (laughs) raised their hands. And after six weeks, the people started complaining that he was preaching the same message. And he said, well, I'll keep preaching this until you all repent and admit that there's nothing in the Bible like that. Okay. Daniel didn't take offense. He didn't allow offense to take him out, and neither did Joseph. God can't use you if you're angry. Now, you say, but God's angry at sin. We should be angry at sin. Joseph said, am I in the place of God? Listen to those words. If you understand who you really are, you don't want judgment, you want mercy. 
There's not a person in this world that I want to see go to hell. Is there anybody you want to see go to hell? The most violent ISIS person, I want to see them come to Christ. In the early days of the church, there was a terrorist. I don't know if you ever caught this in the book of Acts. He was arresting Christians. He was going from house to house. He had the power from the government to put people in jail just because they professed Jesus as the Messiah. His name was Saul. God got a hold of him and changed his heart. We are hearing stories right now out of the Middle East, and I'm hearing them out of a number of sources of mullahs, imams, Islamic leaders that are having encounters with the living God, and their hearts are being changed. And they are boldly standing, not even worried whether people will take them out, and they are standing for the Lord. And I, I mean many people. I'm excited to go hear uh, Leith Hetland, who is uh, our speaker at the Messenger International Gathering, a guy that has seen over one million Muslims come to Christ in Pakistan. Did you hear what I just said? One million Muslims come to Pakistan. How many of you saw on our Facebook page this week, I posted a video of a whole line of Muslim guys that were being baptized. Heidi Baker and her team are there in Africa, baptizing one after another of these Muslim men. The fastest growing church today is in Iran. Did you know that? Now, if you want to contend for America, you need to understand it's going to be a little different than contending for the kingdom of God. And this is something we need to settle. Don't hear what I'm not saying here. As an American, you need to vote, be involved, be salt and light, and do everything you can. This has been a great country, okay? But there is something higher and greater that God wants to call us to see. And for those of us that have been so brokenhearted because our world is falling apart, we need to understand that God is causing something to happen. Jesus said something to the early church. He said, I want you to go into all the world. Remember John 3.16? He loves what? For God so loved the world. Now, when he's saying that, he means Western nations, right? Or does he mean Jews there? Because this was an issue for the early church. He says, go into all the world, and they stayed in Jerusalem. And they didn't go anywhere. It was so good. I mean, you read Acts 2 and 4. Would you want to be part of a church like that? Wow. And then it says persecution broke out on the church in Jerusalem. And what happened? The people were dispersed. And guess what? Christianity began to spread within 20 years on every trade route throughout northern Europe to east and west and down into Africa. Christianity was established. It happened so fast, so amazingly. Because I believe that sometimes what we see as a failure, oh no, God, persecution is breaking out in Jerusalem. What are we going to do? And the Lord is saying, I'm finally going to get them out of their seats and doing what I want them to do. And my children are in the beginning of one of the greatest adventures of their life. I'm going to take them places they never imagined they'd go. God wants us to begin to see things through his lenses, not our own. He wants us to begin to see things through his heart. We think that we are 
losing and the world is falling apart, can I tell you, God is starting to put the church back and he's in the early stages of bringing a reformation to the church that's just begun. And it starts here in our own city when we begin to look at ethnic groups that we have not reached out to and loved and we've, did, we've done drive-by through their neighborhood, but we haven't reached out to them. And that's my, one of my challenges to us this year is we need to pray about how we can make a difference, how we can make an impact. Because the nations are coming to us. I was praying about what's happening in Europe, and it's terrible what's happening. And let me make, let me make a statement here just so you understand where I'm coming from. We need laws. And we shouldn't just let everybody in our country. That's chaos, and it hurts people, Okay. But I don't think it's bad that people are coming from other nations. They just need to come in an orderly way. So understand what I'm saying here. But Europe is literally being invaded right now, and I'll tell you why. There are two reasons. Number one, these European nations that are being invaded have persecuted the Jews and have stood against Israel almost their entire modern existence. And the second reason is they have turned their backs on the living God. If they were strong Christians, they'd know what to do with the Muslims in their midst. They would invite them in, love them, and convert them to Christianity, but they've forgotten how to do that. We need to pray for a revival in the church there because I think this is an opportunity. You hear what I'm saying here? Read another article this week, very interesting. There are now 100,000 Chinese, radical, spirit-filled Christian missionaries working in Muslim countries. And the Muslims look at them and they go, they're Chinese. They're not Christians. They don't look like the Christians we're used to from Western Europe. And they have a more authentic faith than we do, honestly, because these people have been living under persecution for over 60 years. They've been meeting in home churches, house churches all over. And the church has grown so fast in China. There are also literally tens of thousands of South Korean missionaries. One of the largest churches per capita in the world is South Korea. This is our team, folks. So this is, this is called a classical pincer maneuver. Well, all of Islam is focused on the decadence of the West. They're being invaded by Christians from the East. Is it true? And we think things are out of control. They're not out of control. God has a plan. And some people will say, what about the end times? I mean, the nations are all shaping up for the Antichrist. Yes, they are. But Scripture says something very interesting. It says there's going to be a harvest of the earth before the end of time. There's a harvest of the righteous that are gathered into God's storehouses. And there's also a harvest of the evil. There's a separation happening. We are, we are at the beginning of, I believe, the greatest harvest of Christian Christianity that the world has ever seen. It's going to be amazing. Every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. How do you know that? It's in Revelation. They're all standing there before the throne of God, praising God and their languages. So what the Lord is saying is, take off your little parochial glasses and begin to believe with me and understand my heart. There's one last thing. I've already said it, but God has a higher purpose than making his children comfortable. Put your seatbelts on. We may think the world is coming to an end only because we misunderstood God's purpose. 
He does not exist to make the U.S. economy solid. He does not exist to make us prosperous. He does not exist to make certain sports teams win games. Don, I just want you to know, before you ask for prayer for the Denver Broncos this morning, that was already in my notes. He asked me, would it be appropriate to pray for sports teams? And I know his heart. He's not serious, I don't think. But do you know how many people are living their life at that level? Do you know how many Christians in America are living their life at that level? Oh, God, I just pray. Well, if you have money on the team, you know, that's a different story, you know. I I was really hoping, I was on Ask the Pastor on Friday, and uh, thanks to Amanda. Amanda was out there cheering. That's great. Anyway, hey, do you want to start doing makeup on me every week before Sunday service? I'll tell you, that's the one reason I, I didn't ever want to go on TV, but Amanda does an excellent job. So. so I'm looking at these questions. Some of the questions are coming in live from people that are calling in, and then there are others that were from last week's show. And one of them is, should Christians play the lottery? And I said, I'm praying, Lord, please help me not to be sarcastic. Please help me not to be sarcastic. You want the answer? Yes. Christians should play the lottery only if you buy one ticket. If you buy more than one, It's not faith. Okay? (laughs) Well, is that true? I mean, come on. Are you putting your faith in odds? Or, you know, if the Lord says, you know, if people say, God wanted me to buy a ticket. First church I was in as an associate pastor, during our missions fundraising, our missions convention, somebody put a gift of $10,000. In the 70s, that was a lot of money, you know, more than today. And I looked at that, and in real fine print, says, if I win the lottery this weekend. I thought, there's got to be a special judgment for that, whoever did that, you know? Get your hopes up, and then kaboom, you're down. So, But I did, the other thing I was, I, I've defined the lottery as a um, voluntary tax on foolish people. So that's how I really feel about it. I said, Lord, I can't say that on the air. God is preparing an eternal kingdom. He's adopted us as sons and daughters to bring as many people into eternity knowing Jesus as we can. Could that involve moving us to places that we are uncomfortable? I don't think anybody's heading to Iran necessarily or Babylon in the next so many years. But could it mean that he wants us to get out of our comfort zones and live authentic Christianity like we've never lived it before? I believe he does. And I believe he's speaking that to our church. Isn't that what God did with Daniel? I believe he wants to do that in us. Let me just share this one last story. I'll end with this. Several years ago, um, Bob Roberts, who's a pastor from Texas, And uh, he's got a book called Glocalization, The Importance of the Local Church and Connecting um, Worldwide. And he was in at St. Luke's and the Acts people, we all went to that. And uh, it was just an amazing time. Probably didn't see this in the news. This is uh, from January 27th. It says, for years, Texas megachurch pastor Bob Roberts has been building relationships with Muslims. Last year, after Franklin Graham argued U.S. should put a ban on Muslims from immigrating to America, the Northwood Church leader joined Muslim leaders in denouncing the comments. That might be hard for some of us to hear. 
in October, he had an imam. Uh, he and an imam hosted the Spreading the Peace Convocation, which, which was attended by 200 imams. This week, Roberts traveled to Marrakesh, Morocco, alongside more than 250 Muslim religious leaders, heads of state, and scholars for a groundbreaking summit. There are leaders from a number of Muslim countries at this thing in Marrakesh. On Wednesday, this is because of the relationship they have with Bob, the Muslim leaders released the Marrakesh Declaration, a 750-word document calling for religious freedom for non-Muslims in majority Muslim countries. I'm blown away, Roberts told. Um, this is uh, Christianity Today from Morocco. This is a Muslim conference put together by the top sheikhs, ministers of religion, and grand muftis of the top Muslim majority nations, and they came up with a declaration literally using the language of religious freedom to declare that violence cannot be done in the name of Islam. The next resolution they passed was a resolution that it was incumbent upon Muslims to protect Christians wherever they are being persecuted in Muslim lands. I think one of the biggest revivals we're going to see in the next five years is we're going to see literally millions of Muslims come to Christ. And we need to pray into this. I believe some of you are already being called to help with that. Do we understand what God is doing in our time? He doesn't want us hiding in a cave, crying about how we've lost our country when the kingdom of God is advancing and literally exploding all over the world. I don't know about you, but I want to, I'm going to be part of this. This is, this is the message the Lord gave me this morning for our church. Can we just respond and just bow our heads in prayer? Lord, I would be um, remiss if I didn't say we were, this is a, a challenging time because it, it is a little scary. And yet, Lord, we know who you are, and we've seen you work in the lives of your people, Lord, throughout the ages. We've seen you work in our own lives, and we just ask you, Lord, to show us the way. I pray, Lord, this year you would open up opportunities for our church to have an impact worldwide and throughout this region like we've never had before. I pray, Lord, that you would appoint the times, and we don't want to strive and try to make things happen. We want to respond to what your Holy Spirit is doing. So lead us by your spirit, God, as a church and also as individuals. And I thank you, Lord, for the hearts of the people that have responded. Lord, I thank you for this group of people that I see striving to honor you, God. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.